Testament. You know, <coughs> excuse me. As we look around our world today, as we watch the news and see the things occurring, our, our hearts want to cry out, injustice! Injustice! And our hearts break. We long for justice to occur, don't we? We, we look for it. We long for it. This morning as we begin, I want you to envision yourself entering into a courtroom with me. You come through the doors, and as you enter into the courtroom, you, you observe some things. First thing you realize is, wow, this is serious. Wall to wall, packed with people. As you take your seat among the, the spectators, you, you recognize the prosecutor. There he stands, he's, well, you know, he's a small town country guy, right? He's from the country, he, he lives in Judah, and well, just south of, of Jerusalem there, out in the country, out in the sticks, the prosecutor has more of an agricultural background than, than political or anything else. His name's Micah. Ah, but he has a reputation. Micah has a reputation for, for speaking up for the small guy, the poor, underprivileged, the lowly. But don't let that fool you. He's a straight shooter. That prosecutor, Micah, he's going to say it like it is. In fact, he's going to come across with passion. He's not going to mince any words as he delivers his words before the judge, before the one in the defendant's seat. You know, one day he might even write a book. You never know. It'll be brief, but to the point. And then, well, on the other side of the room, you notice the one in the defense, sitting there in the defendant's chair. As you look there, you, your eyes roll, you sneer just a little bit good they're finally getting what's coming you look at that person and injustice stirs in your heart violation of rights unjust acts wrongs done you look at them and you sneer 
You know, you used to be close to the one sitting in the defendant's seat. Like brothers, you could say. But now, now you're at odds with that individual. The label would be better defined as enemies than brothers. Then, you settle into your chair. It's going to be a bit. And you notice the judge. The judge. He's never wavered on what is right. Known for his righteousness. He will call right, right, and wrong, wrong. As you look at the judge, his eyes, you notice his eyes, and they're almost fixed on you. In fact, everyone in the audience, as they look at the judge, feels the pierce of his gaze. Looking at him, you know. You realize this judge will demand justice. It almost brings relief, joy, knowing this. As you look at the one in the defendant chair, you go, Deliver your justice. Well, we all want justice, don't we? Someone who will deliver a verdict without impartiality. One who's fair. One who is going to deal right with the action we all cry for it until well until the opening remarks as the prosecutor begins his opening remarks your heart sinks you realize very quickly intense social injustice is occurring in Judah in Israel well let's be honest everywhere you look as you look around you see false prophets are are preaching for for mere riches tickling the people's ears not for righteousness you look and you see that princes have thrived on cruelty, violence, and corruption. Priests minister more for greed than for God. Landlords steal from the poor and evict the widows. Judges lust 
after the bribes they receive. Businessmen use deceitful scales and weights. Sin has infiltrated every segment of society. With the opening remarks, you realize very quickly it's not just the one who sits in the defendant's chair that's on trial or who's guilty. It's each and every one in that courtroom. Look with me as we read the opening verses of Micah. Micah begins this way. Hear, listen, pay attention. Hear, O peoples, all of you. Listen, O earth, and all it contains. And let the Lord God be a witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. For behold, the Lord is coming. He's coming forth from his place. He will come down and tread on the high places of the earth. The mountains will melt under him. And the valleys will be split. Like wax before the fire, like water poured down a steep place. All this is for the rebellion of Jacob and for the sins of the house of Israel. What is the rebellion of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? What is the high place of Judah? Is it not Jerusalem? Quickly, as you begin to look at this letter, you realize rapidly that all, all are guilty. And you realize the consequence of your sin, as Romans 6.23 states, is death. It is a high consequence. What do you do when faced with evidence like this? Faced with the facts that you are guilty. Micah 2.1 says, Woe to those who scheme iniquity. Iniquity is sin, evil. Woe to those who work out evil in their beds. When morning comes, they do it. For it is in the power of their hands. They, they long to do evil. Later, Micah says they use both hands to do evil. They, it's not just one, it's both. They are engaging with everything they have. And the evidence is stacked up against them. It's unquestionable. I tried to think of an illustration of this. And the year 2020 came to mind. 
In that year, we had what has come to be known as the great toilet paper shortage. We came home one day. I know you're laughing right now. We weren't laughing. We came home one day in our precious chocolate lab had gotten into an entire package of toilet paper. It was all over the place. She was sitting in the middle, ears slunk down, tail stuck between the legs, head hung low, sitting in the pile of evidence. Toilet paper still hanging from her mouth. You laughed. I wished we had got a picture of it. The guilt was all over her face and all over the floor. But like sin does, sin passes from one generation to another. We named her Mercy because we knew we were going to have to extend a great deal of mercy to this this dog. But it extended onto her children. We came home one day to this. They were having the best time of their life destroying their mother's bed. You know, we, we chuckle at this, don't we? And we take it lighthearted. By the way, some of you uh, purchased these puppies. <laughs> Beware. But we look at this and we take it lighthearted, but the problem is you and I are sitting in the same pile of guilt the evidence is overwhelming and we we take it lighthearted as well and we chuckle about it oh it's not that serious the evidence as you read Micah for Israel and Judah and let's be honest all mankind was overwhelming I was talking with my son this morning about, because he's, uh, he's reading each book that I'm preaching on each week. I'm like, wait, way to go. I'm like, so what did you think? He goes, there was no warning this time in, in Micah. It was just, this is coming. The judgment is here. Yeah, because the evidence is there. And God called on all creation to testify against them. They sit in a pile of evidence, some of it still draped on them, guilty. And Micah, as he presents this book, Micah presents with passion the justice of God that is coming. The powerful might that God conveys his message through this man is absolutely amazing. Look, look at Micah 3.8. There it is. Micah says, I am filled with power. Where does this power come from? Look, with the spirit of the Lord and with justice and courage. Why? 
to make known to Jacob his rebellious act, even to Israel his sin. That is the purpose Micah is writing this. And he does so with power and passion as he declares the message of God. You have sinned. I will tell you, that is a message all of us need to hear in our lives. We need to understand that the rebellious things we do against God is sin. And as Micah unveils this, he's addressing two major areas. First of all, Israel, and he addresses Samaria, the capital the place of influence. He addresses Jerusalem, the capital, the place of influence. And he says, look at how you are leading the people. You're in sin. He's addressing the, the ones of influence, leaders, priests, Princes. And it would be great if it just stayed there, wouldn't it? Because then we could go, well, it's our leader's fault. But as you read Micah, you understand quickly that God is holding each and every one of us accountable. As you go through the book, you realize that the people are committing idolatry. The first four commands that God gives in the Ten Commandments, and they have rejected them. Do you know what happens when you reject God as God? All of a sudden, the other six commandments, you reject those too. The people are now indulging in corruption and violence and entertaining sin of all types. They're indulging in it. And Micah comes to them with this message. He lays out for them the evidence that is there and says, you are guilty. But as he does... You see the heart of Micah come out too. Because Micah understands the heart of God. And his heart is burdened for the people. Micah's heart is burdened for those who are oppressed. The brunt of the evil that is taking place. It is clear that just because you are the brunt of evil does not give you license to do evil and sin yourself. The book is divided up into three sections, so to speak. Each section beautifully displaying God's heart. The first section deals with the punishment. There's no warning. It just comes out. You have sinned. Here is the consequence. And the consequence is coming from Assyria, the empire at that time. Assyria is going to come in. It is going to be the tool of God's choosing to deliver the consequence for sin. 
It's interesting in Micah 4.10, we also see that God says later Babylon will come, which must have been really interesting for the people to hear because Babylon is no major place whatsoever. In fact, they're still under Assyria. But God knows. God knows what's coming. God's clear. You have sinned, and there is consequence for it. As parents, have you ever told your children, you have done wrong, here is the consequence? And it breaks your heart as a parent sometimes to even deal out that consequence. But you know the outcome. You hope and pray the outcome will be a change of heart. Through this, each time God is talking about the judgment, the punishment coming, He talks about a remnant that will be spared. And he talks about his desire and his plan. Not just a desire, but his plan to restore them. There is a promise of what is to come. I love how God, when he he deals out his punishment, the consequences, he extends grace. There's a promise of of one coming. I I love Micah. It's a short book, easy to read. Seven chapters. You could read one chapter a day, or you could just read the whole book in like 10 minutes. But as you read Micah, it deals a great deal with what is to come. For its size, Micah holds some of the greatest prophecy and greatest percentage of prophecy of things to come. A great deal of foretelling, things to come, and the foretelling. This is going to happen now because of your actions. It's Micah who reveals in such a beautiful way that the promised Messiah will come through Bethlehem. Today we're going to set up a manger. And we never set the wise men up with the manger because they come later. So they're on that side, manger's on this side. But the manger, it it takes place in Bethlehem. Look at what Micah 5.2 says. I love this. But as for you, Bethlehem, Ephrath, that's really hard to say without front teeth. Okay. Too little to be among the clans of Judah from you. One will go forth for me. To be a ruler in Israel, his goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Micah's saying the Messiah, the promised one is coming and he's going to come in Bethlehem. Be looking. Be looking. Micah declares that God is going to restore those who have experienced injustice. Each one in this room, to some level or degree, has experienced injustice. Some to greater depths than others. And God promises 
he will deal with it. I love what Micah 4, 6 and 7 says. Look at it. In that day, declares the Lord, I will assemble the lame and gather the outcast. Have you ever felt among that group? Those that the world and others have forgotten, even those whom I have afflicted. I will make the lame a remnant and the outcast a strong nation and the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from now on and forever. God is going to restore and not just those who have experienced injustice to those who receive him, the ones who dealt it out. How many of you without raising hands, have ever been the one dealing out injustice. I was an older brother. I was a husband, am still, a father. I'm a man. I have been the one who has dealt out injustice. I've been the recipient. I've been the one who gives it. And God declares he will restore both. I love how God in, in Micah describes himself as a shepherd. Look at this. And he will arise and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will remain because at that time he will be great to the ends of the earth, this one who will be our peace. Look at verse 5, the beginning of it. This one will be our peace. We long for peace, don't we? People around the world cry out, peace, peace. We want it. We long for it. And Christ says, I will shepherd. I will gather them together and I will bring about peace. I will do this. And the coming Messiah will rule. And he will rule with justice. And for some of us, that's like, Amen. And others of it's like, oh no. How many of you, the justice of God scares you a little bit? It should. Because if God deals with me how he should deal with my sin, oh my. Do you know how he dealt with my sin? That is a God who deals with sin. And because of that, he offers a pardon. God, through his prophet, pleads with the people. 
How many of you picture God begging? You read Micah, you see a God who is begging with the people, pleading with them to understand his desire, to understand his heart. Look at chapter 6, verse 8. Oh, I wish I could do a whole message on this. Chapter 6, verse 8. He has told you, O man, what is good. Look at God's word. He's told you what's good. He's not hiding it. He's told you what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. That's what God wants. That's what God desires from you and I. To walk. Folks, that's a relationship. This is not a God of justice up there throwing lightning bolts saying, be gone. It's one who's drawing us in and saying, I want you. I want a relationship. I want to love you. I want to extend my mercy and my grace. These people that are steeped in injustice, delivering it out at every turn, who are steeped in idolatry, Pursuing other gods other than the one God. He cries out to them, I want you. Wow, what a God. He's pleading with them to repent. He says, I want to extend my mercy. Can you fathom that? The judge, as he gazes into the audience, as he looks at each and every one guilty, the gaze is locked, and in his eyes of justice, you see mercy. I cannot find words to capture God's heart enough on this topic. He desires so much. But through Micah, he strives to share with his people, with all mankind. Look at my heart. I love the picture that Micah gives as he wraps up the book in verse 18 of chapter 7. Who is a God like you? Imagine Micah wrapping up his closing arguments. He says, who is a God like you who pardons iniquity? A righteous judge looking at the evidence, looking at the guilty, and he pardons iniquity and passes over the rebellious act of the remnant of his possession. He does not retain his anger forever. Sin makes God 
angry. But he doesn't hold on to that. In fact, he poured it out at Calvary. All his wrath, all his anger on sin was poured out there. It says he does not retain his anger forever because he delights in unchanging love. He delights in this. He delights in extending his grace and his mercy to you and I. I love the response. But you don't see it in Micah. I asked at the very beginning, what do we do when we're faced with the evidence, when we're faced with the facts of our guilt? What do we do? Rockefeller built a great oil empire. Not surprisingly, Rockefeller was a man who demanded high performance from his company executives. One day, one of those executives made a $2 million mistake. For those that don't know, that's a big mistake. As he approached the oil monarch's desk, Rockefeller looked up from a piece of paper on which he was writing. Rockefeller said, I guess you heard about the um, $2 million mistake our, our friend made, he said abruptly. The man replied, <clears throat> yes. Expecting Rockefeller to explode, Rockefeller said, well... I've been sitting here listing all our friends' good qualities on this sheet of paper, and I've discovered that in the past he's made us many more times the amount he lost for us today by this one mistake. His good points far outweigh this one human error. So I think we ought to forgive him, don't you? Whew. Here's the problem. When we come to the scriptures, when we look, it says all our righteous acts. And I know most of you, I know that, that you guys are great people. I know you guys have done some amazing things. My goodness, the shoeboxes we delivered this last week, amazing. I love seeing just the heart our church has for people the nativities, and, and so many other areas. But Scripture says, um, well, any of our good points? Well, they're like filthy rags. Scripture says that. Anything good is, is filthy rags. Ephesians says that our works, as good as they may appear to everyone else, as good as they may be, our works don't save us. So regardless of how many good points you write down on the piece of paper, guilty. Guilty. Forgiveness is never extended or given to you and I by God because of merit. 
but rather mercy. We don't earn it. In fact, if we deserved, if we got what we deserved, if we got justice, well, let's just say heaven would be very, very empty. The people of Judah, you know what they did? They repented. They repented. This is the one prophet going to Israel and Judah who actually had a successful ministry because the people listened. They repented. And, and you know what happened? Oh my goodness, Micah gives his message, they listen to it. Amazing thing, when God's word is declared and preached, people listening, amazing things happen. King Hezekiah, oh my goodness, he sees this. He demands reform in the nation. He demands repentance. And you know what? Judah sees revival. Because of they heeded the message, while Israel, on the other hand, goes, whatever. And they reject God's message. And Israel succumbs to Assyria. But you know what happens when Assyria comes to Jerusalem? They don't lift one finger and God delivers them in a miraculous way. He says, see what happens when you Repent, you turn to me and receive my mercy. Judah made a 180. They went from disaster, the judgment, the verdict was in, and they went to deliverance. God delivered them. They went from being predators, delivering injustice upon the people, to shepherds caring for and administering God's grace. They went from darkness to light. What a contrast. And when we come to God's word, when we see sin laid out, the guilt and evidence before us, we have the opportunity to make the same response. Like Israel, we can reject it and say, no, God, I'll do it my way. Or like Judah, we can say we are guilty and throw ourselves at the mercy of God and receive his grace by faith. And we watch his heart as he lavishes on his people. A God who delights in unchanging love extends mercy to you and I as we sit in the mess in the evidence of our sin and evil God extends mercy we're going to close with a different song this morning because honestly if, if you have received this mercy this grace this gift that God gives, then you have experienced true joy and forgiveness. A pardon from the judge. 
We are going to close this morning with the song typically sung at Christmas, and I know we have not even had Thanksgiving yet, okay? But this song actually speaks more of the things to come than the things that have already come. Joy to the world is the song. And when you look at it, we, we sing, recognize the words that you are declaring before God. We, as we are singing, we're declaring, He came. Well, good, He needed to come because I needed Him. You needed Him. But He will be King. And we look forward to that one day. Oh, I do. He will reign and He will rule and He will rule with justice. And I love that as we declare in this song, it is creation that once Micah says is going to testify against us that is rejoicing and one day when we see Christ rule on earth we will see peace and justice I'd encourage you to join